Welcome, listeners of the world, to the most chaotic, dysfunctional, mayhem-inducing podcast ever put to the audio medium, created by a boy with an insatiable desire to talk about movies with his friends. This is Analytical Mayhem. Episode 2 that I'm releasing today, and my two-part comeback special after a three-month-long break. Uh, But you all heard the excuses and such that I put into episode 1, in which I discussed uh, The Beautiful Inside by Bo Burnham, the Netflix special he released over the summer. And as such, uh, you know, not really relating, I don't know why I said as such, but continuing on uh, with, like, the summer movies that I watched, or summer specials that I watched. Uh, today, I will as well be talking about the wonderful 2007 film directed by, I believe it was Paul Anderson. Yes, Paul Anderson. I'm checking Google and it says I'm correct. So, <laughs> directed by Paul Anderson, 2007, There Will Be Blood, starring the wonderful actor Daniel Day Lewis. An utterly captivating film, beautiful cinematography, and a theming and underlying. And the underlying subtext of the film uh, that I find just incredibly fascinating. So I'm going to try to expose you all to the wonders that this film uh, brought up for me, and hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I can within these next 20 minutes or so. So let's cue that music, and let's begin. To begin, let's start off with the technical aspects of the film in order to give you an overview of what this general story is like and who was involved in the process of the film. Uh, As I already stated, the director was Paul Anderson. The film was released in the Christmas season of 2007 and stars the excellent actor Daniel Day-Lewis. I wish he would act more, but you know, to each their own. He gave us wonderful performances and this film is definitely a highlight. Of his career and I will delve, delve, <laughs> not delve, I will delve uh, deeper into that later in this review. But yes, uh, so Daniel Day-Lewis plays the oil prospector, uh, the original silver miner, as we'll see in the opening shots of the film, Daniel Plainview, uh, as he moves into oil-rich California and how, as he uses his resources and his cunning entrepreneurial abilities uh, to gain land and in, uh, and in order to drill oil uh, and gain uh, wealth for himself. He adopts a son, H.W., uh, and there will be their dynamic uh, between father and adopted son is a very interesting uh, relationship that we will see throughout this film and how that attributes uh, to the development of Daniel Plainview as a character as we see him become more and more paranoid and lonely as wealth and the pursuit of economic gain uh, encapsulate his life. It enthralls him and that becomes his defining character 
inevitably driving into further madness. Uh, but but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, that uh, that we'll, we will also discuss later on. Uh, the one thing I did not mention: the cinematography is excellent, as I already said. But the musical score. I was just listening to the musical score right before this review, because as you all know, I like to incorporate some music behind my voice. That way, you all don't get bored. <laughs> um, and honestly, some of these soundtracks are really excellent. Like Bo Burnham's, of course, is. Uh, Inside was, of course, a musical comedy of sorts. You know, the entire thing was based off of uh, music and sound, so I really want to incorporate that in my review. As well as Lion of the Desert was a historical epic that, uh, that of course, needed that uh, bravado that the score brought, uh, in my opinion, brought beautifully. But anywho, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> I like went off on a little tangent about soundtracks and the other two reviews. Um, but yeah, no. So the soundtrack in this film, in There Will Be Blood, is so immersive. Like it really sets the tone and the pacing for the rest of the film. You have this sense of, uh, you know, like starting up in this very, you know, like tight and uh, contrite environment where you're fighting for your life and you're trying to mine out steel. This is the first two and a half minutes, um, which I should mention. The first two and a half minutes of this film are some of, is one of the best openings to a film I've ever seen because it's just completely silent. So you're just, you're just left with your thoughts and with the sound and the environment. And it's just, it, it's, it's so powerful. It, like this whole film can really be described with that one word. I'm going to like bring it up a thousand times right here, but this film is powerful and when i know when people think of powerful they're like emotionally moving or uh you know this is really breathtaking and this film does have very breathtaking moments and it is very emotional uh especially towards the end but when i mean by powerful i mean by the fact that the film exudes power like it's this whole idea of man trying to conquer environment or man trying to conquer each other and manipulating each other in order for their own gain. And I feel like the score and the cinematography and the acting all beautifully meld to create this powerful film, this film that exudes the human drive. And at first, going back to that opening shot, at first, the audience is presented with this idea that human beings going after their goals and exuding power is inspiring and it is something to achieve and work for in life and that's definitely true I, I definitely agree with that but the film also shows us that the flip side of that is that more often than not there are people within the history of humanity who have used their intellect who have used their cunning abilities to completely decimate uh, all of those in their path and it's such an interesting uh it's just an such an interesting glimpse into the human mind and perhaps what in society can be reflected as and i don't want to use the word society too much because it's been mean to death on the internet um but really it is a it's an interesting way to look at the world like these this two two-sided view this dichotomy of you know pursuing uh pursuing gain that can be inspiring and beautiful and then on the flip side you see 
human beings going after their gains and spoils, and then wreaking havoc, causing immense amount of suffering. And not and what I mean by suffering, I mean suffering internally and externally, by hurting the environment, by hurting each other, and also by hurting ourselves. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's really powerful stuff. Uh, and that's just the score. I mean, really, I think all of that can be encapsulated in the score. This film is really a, what I'd like to go... I know I'm going off on tangents again, but this film really reminds me of um, a phrase I saw once used by Roger Ebert, a combination film. A film that is able to really embody the essence of what film can bring as an art form. Uh, you know, more often than not, we think of uh, how certain pieces of artistic literature can represent their own different visions. Like, if I were to present the story of There Will Be Blood on paper, which the film is loosely based off of a book named Oil, with an exclamation mark at the end, um, that book, I assume I have not read it, but I assume that book, of course, like any other book, is going to use the eloquence of literature, like through the pen and by describing the environment. It's going to present that in a way that will affect the audience differently from how maybe a painting, like if you see just a still image, if you see just a singular shot from the film, then that will give a different sense to the audience. It will give them a different perspective on what they're viewing. And film has the unique ability, uh, uh, in my opinion, to encapsulate all of the beautiful aspects of the different art forms. Uh, you have the auditory sense of the medium, and you have the visual sense not only by the master, uh, masterful placement of certain objects or themes within a particular shot, which of course film does, um, but also visually in terms of theatrically. Um, like when we think of a person portraying a different character, that is truly a beautiful art form within itself. And film, different from stage work, has its own form of uh, of that art of theatrical uh, performances, and there's a and, and that's the key uh, between different types of actors. I always believe that you know one could help with the other. Like being a film actor could help in certain ways with being a stage actor. Uh, more often than not, though, it's typically being a stage actor can be uh, helpful in becoming a film actor. But I think there are lessons to gain from both. Uh, in film, there are different decisions that the actor can make to give power to their role. Uh, again, that word powerful I'm using. Um, but yes, and but sadly, of course, the actor, uh, sadly and fortunately, the actor isn't the prime moving power within a film. A film, like I said, uh, or an excellent film, I think, is a combination of everything. Is a combination of the sound. Is a combination of the sight. Is a combination of the actors' performances, and is a combination of the direction that the story is going. You know, that includes the writing and the pacing. All of that conjoins into the essence of film, in my opinion. And of course, you know, there are people far more knowledgeable about film than I. But as 
uh, as a young film buff myself, that's what I've always been drawn to, is film's ability to combine all these different themes into one. And I think There Will Be Blood perfectly encapsulates that idea of a film, uh, of the combination of all these different platforms. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's the technical aspects to the film that I really enjoyed and that I wanted to talk to, talk to you all about. Uh, and now I'm going to do my little little break in the episode where I get a drink of water, and we'll be starting back right up, thanks to the usage of editing magic. Uh, so I will be back in two seconds, I assume. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're back from the quick little break. Uh, now, let's get on with the proper review. I know I've been saying that a few times. I went into the technical details. Now we're going into the real nitty-gritty stuff. To begin with my positives of the film, you already saw how I gushed over the soundtrack, which I think, uh, again, it's not something <laughs> that's, you know, like, I'm, I'm not gonna exactly, you know, shove on in the car while I'm practicing to drive. Yeah, that would frighten me half to death, probably. <laughs> no, but the film's score is very powerful. It is very... There, there's a very... There's a bit of subtlety to it, of course, but... And not exactly... It, it's strange, because it's an upfront subtlety. Uh, by which I mean, like, the scores are very in-your-face and loud, but what they mean, like, what they behold uh, behind their... Uh, their musical composition and how they apply to the scene and even outside of the scene uh, because as I uh, as many people will tell you as many critics will tell you a good score does not just last within the scene that it's put but it lasts within the mind of the listener of the viewer uh, you know when we think of great scores or great themes like Star Wars or Batman like these are pop culture themes yes but they do spark a emotion within us which is the purpose of a score a score is meant to bring up those emotions and more subtly with um and those are john williams scores that i brought up with or well not necessarily no the uh, batman score is danny elfman but uh, aside from them i think a great composer is uh, who works in pixar uh, uh ratatouille he, uh, he did the score for Ratatouille, but the, uh, as I'm trying to remember his name, I sadly cannot right now, but his score within the Pixar films, like The Incredibles and Ratatouille, and he did at least those two, like we have a sense of emotion uh, when thinking about those. When Ratatouille, we think of artistic vision and the combination of, uh, you know, uh, of food, uh, but not only food, but of, you know, uh, of the essence. Uh, that's it. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. The essence of the things in our lives and the people in our lives and in our lives. And with the Incredibles, we think of these this old heroic past and nostalgia for quote unquote what was. Uh, so I believe the score in this film uh, perfectly does that. And then the cinematography is beautiful. One excellent aspect of the cinematography, uh, Paul uh, Paul Anderson 
is a great director. I've only, I've seen two of his films before this. One was another Daniel Day-Lewis film, which was Phantom Thread, which is about him as a, a tailor, uh, which is a beautifully shot film as well. It's a good film. And uh, and there was another one. I, I think it's I think it's called Ma- uh, Manigolds or Magnolias. I think it's Magnolias. Um, but both both of those films are they have uh, they're set piece films. Like there are certain set pieces that represent ideas or themes. And I was listening to uh, Quentin Tarantino's review of. Uh, of There Will Be Blood that he did in 2009. Uh, and Quentin Tarantino, I believe, is a good friend of Paul Anderson. And he was describing how the first time he viewed the film, uh, this is Quentin Tarantino, uh, when the first time Quentin Tarantino viewed the film, he he told Paul Anderson, uh, like, wow, that was an amazing film. Uh, you barely, you, you had, like, no uh, set pieces uh, within the film. It wasn't really a set piece film. And Paul Anderson said, thank you, wow, that's, uh, that's really nice of you, uh, I was trying to aim for that. But, uh, but he said the second time he looked back at the film, uh, and this is another thing I agree with, uh, his review is that you really should watch this film twice. He says twice, I think you should watch, <laughs> let there be, uh, there, not let there be blood, <laughs> there will be blood. I think you should watch There Will Be Blood multiple times, like as many times as it takes for you to really capture all of like, the details of the film because it's it's a rewatchable film in my opinion like it it'll bum you out because it's not a happy-go-lucky film but it is an incredibly intriguing film so you'll want to watch it again trust me um uh, but anyways i digress so when quentin tarantino watched it the second time he he saw these uh the set pieces used in the film uh, properly which i was surprised he didn't catch the first time but <laughs> but yeah but like clearly you can see uh, two major set pieces used in the film, like set pieces that drive a theme uh, in the story. That, of course, being the oil rig. The oil rig plays a pivotal role throughout the entire thing because it's about Daniel Plainview, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, trying to achieve wealth through these oil rigs. Um, so the oil rig is an important set piece within the film, and it provides us a sense of man's interaction with nature, uh, the the carelessness for human life in the pursuit of greed or economic gain, as well as the industrial era in general. Um, so that's what that embodies. And also a beautiful shot within the film is when we see the oil rig on fire. This is a spoiler um, within the film. When one of the oil rigs catches on fire, we see that as the sun is going down, so it's nearly... It's it's com- it's nearly completely set, and we see a darkened, huge blue sky, and we see the oil rig on fire, contrasting with this dark sky in the background. And in the foreground, we see Daniel Plainview covered in oil, and that is a beautiful shot. That is, and like I, I'm pretty sure if you look on YouTube and you just search up the most beautiful shots in film, I I can pretty much guarantee that at least one of those videos in the top three. Uh, recommended are going to have that shot uh, from the film because I'm sure I've seen it around as well. Mm. So that is the first uh, of the set pieces encapsulated by the cinematography that really stood out to me. And then the second would have to be the usage of the church. 
Um, now, the church it doesn't play a significant role, but the physical set piece of the church is important uh, in the overall story as it shows a difference in the power dynamic between Daniel Plainview and Elijah, this quote-unquote child prophet. And there are many different ways you can view the church. It progresses the plot by, uh, you know, Daniel converting to the religion of the town in order to gain the sympathy of the townspeople. And that's another example of industrialism and capitalism and, you know, taking over religious systems and ideologies. Sure, you could apply that there as well. But really, at the end of the day, it furthers the dynamic between uh, Eli and uh, Daniel. I think I might have said <laughs> Eli's name was Elijah before. I'm sorry. It's Eli and Daniel. Their power, their power dynamic is really encapsulated by the usage of the church um, and their, their different ways of manipulating people. I found that very interesting. So that's the sound. That's the cinematography. For the acting, I've already said, uh, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis and everybody's, you know, for the past... Uh, it's been 14 years now. 14 years I've been talking about how excellent Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in this film, and of course, all of his films are. But, um, but yeah, so he is, of course, stunning and spectacular, and he plays... The way he plays his character is... You can... It's... It's hard to describe with words. It's... It's... You can imagine that... Of, that... Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview is doing all the things that he's doing and you can imagine what he would be doing in out of shot. I, I don't know if that fully makes sense, but uh, but like re-quoting Quentin Tarantino's review, um, you know, in the beginning, uh, like I said, that's like beginning of the film is nearly exactly silent and I love that about it because it really just leaves you with the sense of eeriness and really having to pay attention to the film and its surrounding environments. But also, during that shot, uh, during that opening scene, uh, Daniel Plainview breaks his legs. And I believe the distance between the mine and the town is like three and a half miles. I think that's like the distance between the town and the mine. And so he's broken his legs. And he has to go back all the way to town just by his arms, like by the elbows, by scraping by on his elbows throughout this desert. And we don't see his full journey, but we can imagine it. And we can imagine it realistically because of Daniel Davis's performance. You may be thinking, oh, well, you know, if it was anybody else and we cut away, then it would be fine and, you know, it doesn't really matter. But no, you the way Daniel Day-Lewis portrays Daniel Plainview's like scruffiness and his grit uh, by getting by persevering through this harsh environment in order to get to town uh, and leaving behind the wealth that he has in the mine because he has to like, get the proper tools again to get his legs fixed. Um, just that determination again is so fascinating and again it can really only be played by daniel day lewis like if you put uh if you put an actor even like matt damon matt damon's not a bad actor he's a pretty good actor um and he plays 
his character as well. But I don't think that he would be able to show that same level of you know character synchronization, if you will. Like the the actor really becomes the character. Uh, I don't think he would be able to do that as well as Daniel Day-Lewis or really anybody. And I know you know comparing actors is a little insulting because each actor has their own method and they each have their own ways of doing things. But that's like just, <laughs> just Daniel Day-Lewis is in his own like realm of acting. Like I, I can't even like you you can compare. I think I think it's fair to say. Um, so yeah now the only slight criticism i would have of this film is like with such a powerful character like daniel plainview played by the incredible daniel day lewis some of the other characters do feel less um less involved if you will like they 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 don't feel like foils to Daniel Plainview because Daniel Plainview is already this very large character and we see the troubles not troubles but the the ways he by which he will achieve his goals uh, in the film and this is an actual spoiler so if you want to quickly dip out um, he murders two people the first person he murders is somebody who claims to be his half-brother and Daniel Plainview is a smart character, so of course he figures out eventually that this guy is not his half-brother. And so he murders him for it, for the fact that he's lying and for the fact that he's trying to share the wealth from the oil rig. And then the second murder occurs at the end of the film with the famous whole milkshake scene, if you want to search that up. Excellent scene. I'll probably play it at the end of this episode. Uh, in which he kills Eli, his supposed foil, which again it's kind of hard for him to be a foil <laughs> with such a large character that's probably the least believable part of it but you can still see it and it doesn't you know detract from the excellence of the film um but i digress these two uh, examples of uh, murder <laughs> uh, show different ways by which he wishes to achieve his goal and i know what you might be thinking like different ways they're both murder but there are two different ways because the first time he murders is for his economic gain is for him to gain uh his money and because he feels like he has been swindled which he hates and he hates people lying to him and then the second one with eli eli has been a constant annoyance throughout the film and by the end of the film daniel plainview has become so engrossed by wealth and has become so disconnected from all the things in life that were not materialistic that he connected to, like his son, H.W., uh, that he's become this shell of a human being. And so Eli is this last remnant of when he was, you know, like, whole. And, this, and he's like a leech upon Daniel. And so he wants to eradicate because he's... He's just always been in his way and wants to just, like, finish the job. So he kills him. Uh, and that's all. <laughs> that's all very intense, but it, sh it really shows the character of Daniel Plainview. And it like, shows his journey as he, again, becomes more and more engrossed by his goals. And it's, it's really fascinating to watch. It's a perfect example of 
a character uh, of characterization. So, uh, so those are my positives for the film. Uh, I really did enjoy a lot of that, and there were some of the negatives, of course. Um, for the theming of the film, I'd like to wrap up. Themings of the film, like I've stated throughout, Anne's interaction with the nature is brought up, of course, with people dying left and right because of oil rigs and because of land, and by Daniel taking land from other people and swindling them out of uh, of their land and, the, by, and thereby destroying the environment around uh, those towns. But it, uh, and but the film also has other examples of. Uh, just like again like uh, entrepreneurial spirit the drive of human beings both the good and the bad of it um oh th that is something i forgot to mention <laughs> i'm sorry um silly me uh while we do see daniel uh plainview as he originally we are introduced with him and we're kind of shocked and in awe and inspired by his grit and his drive to gain wealth uh, and the silver mines, and then going on to the oil mines. On the flip side of that, and then he becomes corrupt. Uh, on the flip side of that, we see his adopted son, H.W., who, uh, this is another spoiler, so dip if you want to, um, he loses his hearing in an oil rig accident. He gets thrown off, like, a couple couple meters out, like a good, good hundred feet, I'd say. He gets thrown off, and so he loses his hearing permanently. But we see how he perseveres into his adult age and still holds a youthful innocence to him and how he still loves his father even though he's seen how corrupt he's become and his father is like cussing at him and he's like slandering him by the end of the film and you feel so you you feel so ashamed in a way like you feel ashamed by daniel's actions and you feel so heartbroken um, by the look on H.W.'s face, and that's not that's another example of you know, like of the positive of the human spirit. Uh, and then I, I feel like not enough people mention H.W. as a character, and I feel bad that I haven't mentioned him till now. But he really is important to show the difference in um, in the mentality of Daniel Plainview, like what Daniel could have become if he were softer, if he cared about people and their feelings and about, you know, trying to better himself and those around him instead of just, like, full frontal gain. Like, his, his drive is gain and to shadow out all feelings of doubt and to crush others. It's, it's scary, but it's also very realistic, this portrayal of two different types of drive uh, for humanity. Uh, so the, that's a key aspect to the film's uh, theming. And and yeah, overall, it's, uh, it's a great film. A wild ride, to be sure. Very dark. I highly suggest re-watching it after you watch it once. It's current. The film is currently available on Netflix if you'd like to give it a watch there. And I'm sure, of course, you could rent it on Amazon Prime or you could always purchase the film. Uh, it's an amazing watch, beautiful cinematography, beautiful sounding, uh, excellently sounded. And again, the acting of the film is great. And the characters are 
so powerful. The film is powerful. It exudes the essence of of spirit in a film. It's uh, yeah. There's so many things to gush over. As I'm like wrapping up my thoughts now, I'm even thinking of more things. Like the film, um, it came out in 2007, but like from the look of it, you'd think it came out like years before. And that's not to degrade the film quality. The film quality is great. It's shot in beautiful 239 by one aspect ratio, which you know, excellent films such as Blade Runner 2049, or like animated films like Incredible 2, like they they were made in that aspect ratio, and I love that aspect ratio. Um, but no. It, it's old in the sense like of portraying the time period well it's, a, it's like a time period piece but you can continue to rewatch it it's it's excellent it is a beautiful it's a beautiful combination film it's a powerful beautiful combination film uh so yeah i hope you all enjoyed this review i'm going to give uh there will be blood if you can't already tell an a plus it is an a plus film um it will definitely stand the test of time, in my opinion. And that's all I got for you all today for today's episode of Analytical Mayhem. I hope you enjoyed my review of There Will Be Blood. There will certainly be, hopefully, more <laughs> Analytical Mayhem episodes to come in the coming weeks. Uh, and I hope you all uh, are going to continue to enjoy these uh, these episodes. Uh, these Minute Movie Musings have been really fun for me to do. And um, especially today's episode and the Bo Burnham episode. Uh, so yeah, remember to stay analytical and to stay curious and to continue watching films. That way you can continue to be interested in films for my sake of, of podcasting. Uh, but yes, this has been a Yubsaid of Analytical Mayhem. Hope you all have an excellent day. Ciao, ciao. Drink it up! Don't bully me, Daniel! <laughs> <laughs>